All right, everybody, we're going to get started. We are going to get started. Make sure that you have your handout for today. Sonia, I saw you grab these. Um, did you hand them out? Were you handing them out to people? Okay. So if you need one, do they, if people need one, do they see you? Okay. If you need one of these, see Sonia, make sure you have one. Um, here's how we're going to do this book. The, all you have to do, first person, get ready. So this book right here, David Pallison, he's a biblical counselor, very good. He recently passed away, but uh, he was very productive during uh, his life, and he wrote a lot of good stuff, a lot of good books and articles, um, just basically giving a, uh, not only a case for biblical counseling, but also just how to do it in, in many ways and how to think about it. So good little book here by David Pallison, now at home with the Lord, but uh, though dead, he still speaks. So here's the question, listen, first person, raise your hand, give me the, the single most helpful thing you learned from our last study in Romans 14. Ready, go. Did you recently win a book? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the last Well, I don't have to. But no, no, go ahead, James. Go ahead. No, I, I thought you recently did, but never mind. Go ahead. There you go. I'll, 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 I'll give it to you. That's a good one. Oh, go. Don't worry, more books coming. Uh, un- unfortunately, the, um, the, the books on the conscience that we ordered, the, I, uh, I ordered them from WTS Books out in Pennsylvania, and then they said that you're ordering so many, we're going to add, we're gonna have to get the publisher involved. I'm like, we're just, I'm just ordering 50-some books. And so they'll drop ship them as soon as they have them. But everybody, because of a generous donor, every one of you gets a free copy of that uh, conscience book, which is really, really good. So we will see that. Hopefully you'll see that soon. And then I'll continue to hand out books and give away free books as we go along week to week. I love doing that and I hope you guys find it useful. But even if you don't get the book or win the book, make sure that you keep track of the titles so that you know what books might be helpful. All right, so let us begin uh, our study here. Actually, let me pray for us, and then we'll get into our study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity now to study this uh, important topic of biblical counseling, what it is, what it is not, how to understand uh, what Scripture calls us to as Christians, counseling Christians, give us wisdom as we think carefully about this issue and ask the right questions, and we just ask for your guidance and that you grant us conviction and insight into the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you are just visiting or if you haven't been here for a little bit, we're going to study a, start a multi-week study on the topic of biblical counseling. And it just, I, 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 I'm not entirely sure how my own like interests and desires and, and ideas about what to teach come about. I pray about them. I think about them. I read. I study. I kind of try to watch the the cultural and theological landscape. And and uh, it just so happens that I decided this several weeks ago. And then that was before they the pastors went to Honduras and then taught on biblical counseling while we we're there. And Cliff came back and preached on biblical counseling. And so. Interestingly, these things coincide. We never planned it that way. They just happened to. But one of the reasons I wanted to do this is because I was hearing, not really so much here, but elsewhere, just hearing 
a lot of confusion, I think, about what biblical counseling is, its relation to psychology, what, how Christians should think about psychology, and I wanted to really delve deeply into all of those questions for the sake of uh, some clarity for our sake. And not only that, but as we'll see, that you guys will hopefully come to embrace the idea that Christians are to be counseling Christians. And we have to ask the question, well, how do you define counseling? But well, as we'll see in a, in a few biblical texts, this was the New Testament. This is Paul, the apostles, this is the other apostles' expectation, is that Christians would be equipped to be able to counsel one another. Okay? But we're going to define terms. We're going to define terms like counseling and help and solutions and things like that. So, let us begin, shall we? And, uh, of course, this is like any other Bible study or YoPro class or whatever. You are free to raise your hand and ask questions at any time, all right? And you want to hang on to this sheet because this is not the only... We'll probably be in this particular lesson for at least two weeks. So hang on to your sheet so that you can continue to make notes. And if you are filling up your thing with so many notes that you need another page, well, just ask for another sheet and we'll give you another sheet because I'll keep printing them out week to week so you can have a, a, a place to write all of your notes. So, now, starting off, some of you may be eager for me to start immediately start talking about psychology. Okay, How are we to think about psychology? And I think a better methodology than starting there is actually to front load this whole series with, in a, with approaching the Scripture and seeking to exhaust what the Scripture says, particularly about this issue, and then go on to think how Christians might think about psychology and how we're to, to consider it as a discipline. Okay, so that's going to be our approach. And the reason why I want to do, about, do, do that is because I want to go deep into Scripture and ask more foundational questions about discipleship, the aim of the Christian life, the aim of Christian teaching, what it means to help someone, and then define biblical counseling from Scripture first. And then when we have a clear understanding about what the Bible says about counseling, we can do some important work about contrasting it with other methodologies. And here's what I want us to, to grasp. You don't need to have a real uh, broad or thorough grasp of all the various kinds of uh, psychological systems or counseling systems out there in the world. What you need to be able to do is to ask the right questions. And hopefully in today's study, I will start to introduce you to the right questions that we need to ask. It's more important that you think clearly than that you load your mind with all various kinds of uh, facts and, and so on and, and systems. It's, it, we, we, we tend to think that the more knowledge we stuff and cram into our minds, the better off we will be. Actually, what's needed is clarity of thought, clarity of thinking. Okay? And sometimes it's better to have clarity on a little bit than muddled thinking on a lot of stuff. In fact, it may be the case that the more uh, varied knowledge you try to cram in without carefully clarifying categories in your mind, you're actually going to create confusion. Okay? So we need to ask the right questions, seek clarity, and I hope to begin by showing you how to do that today on this particular topic. Okay? So, what is counseling? What is it? Well, if you're, to, if you're just Google what the, the word counsel or counseling in 
just get, it, get on your computer, type in counseling on the search bar, you know what you'd get? You would immediately get a selection of professional psychologists and therapists in the area. That's what you would get. Because that's how counseling, that word counseling is, is perceived in, in this day. If you want counsel, then you go to a, a professional psychologist. You're looking for psychological therapy. That's just, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's the reality right now. Okay? You type in counseling on Google, and that's what you're going to get. But how might we define counseling in a way that is, is broad enough to, to subsume all various kinds of counseling, whether it's psychological or uh, biblical counseling? And I think this is a helpful way to define it. Quote, at basic, quote, counseling is a conversation where one party with questions, problems, and trouble seeks assistance from someone they believe has answers solutions, and help. Okay, now that's a definition I got from somebody who is, uh, works in this area, but I think that's a fair definition. If you just consider broadly what counseling is, whether it's from a psychological perspective or a biblical perspective, what you're doing is you're someone who's got problems, serious enough problems to now seek help outside of you. And Depending on your background, depending on where you think the authority lies, depending on where you think the solutions lie, you will go seek out help. And you'll go sit down with somebody, or maybe a couple of people, but typically it's one-on-one -on -one in this day and age. You sit down with somebody and you get help and solutions from that person after you've given them all of your various problems or that singular problem that you're really dealing with that has started to have a pretty profound negative effect on your life. Now, uh, for the most part, we can make our way through life and, and we have some troubles here and there, but we, we tend to make it through life and we don't need that kind of intensive counsel, but sometimes people do and so they will go get counsel. And that's really what it is. It's a conversation with two people where one person has questions, they have problems, they have trouble, and they need assistance from someone who they believe they really do has answers, solutions, and help. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there in that chair sitting with that person, right? So do you guys think that's a fair way to define counseling, just broadly, if we're thinking about what counsel is? Okay. Biblical counseling is distinctive at a very important point, though. And it's distinctive because it falls under the larger category of discipleship. Okay? Biblical counseling, if you want to just think about where it falls in the grand scheme of Christianity, you have discipleship. Jesus gave us their great commission. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, about, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught. And that's what Christians now become. You, become a, you trust in Christ, and now you're a, a disciple of Christ, and it's the, the church's and other Christians' responsibility to help you grow in discipleship. So every spiritual instruction that you receive falls under this broader category of discipleship. So you could say that biblical counseling is intensive discipleship. You could call it intensive discipleship. Why is that? Well, because for the most part, we, we're going through our Christian life and we're walking with the Lord and there's joy and there's fruitfulness and then we, get, uh, we hit a snag and it's a problem or a set of problems that we can't seem to figure out ourselves. Okay, And so we go and we seek counsel and it's a, it's a time of intensive discipleship on a few specific issues. Okay? 
Usually you're going through your Christian life, you're hearing the Word of God, you're being instructed from the Word of God, you're being instructed in the classroom, you're being instructed from the pulpit, you're being instructed in these various ways, and you're making it through the Christian life with, with joy and fruitfulness. But then there you get snagged and you need some intensive help, and so you get focused on that uh, issue, and that might be called intensive discipleship or pointed discipleship or focused discipleship or problem-specific discipleship. That's what I would, how I would define Biblical counseling, problem-specific discipleship. Discipleship includes more than problem-solving, but it can't include less. Okay, So it's not just solving your life's problems, but it is not less. Obviously, discipleship includes doctrinal teaching, Christian areas, other areas of Christian living, obeying Christ's commands, etc. So this biblical counseling falls under Discipleship, and you can call it intensive discipleship or problem-specific discipleship. Okay. What I do want you also to see is that this, what Scripture envisions as counseling is not some sort of professional practice, but something that is to be happening among all believers. And we'll be looking at texts specifically that prove that point. We today, in this day and age, again, like just going back to the word counseling, type that in Google, what you would get is a, is a selection of professional counselors who have a practice, who would charge you a fee to, to be seen like a, any other professional would. They're offering a service. They're offering a good and a, a service, offering goods and service. They're offering a service, and they're going to charge you for that service. They've been professionally trained and receive degrees in this area, and so that's, that's where you're going to get help. Biblically speaking, counsel, biblical counseling is not some sort of professional practice, and it is not hidden behind a paywall. That's particularly important. Any spiritual instruction should never be charged for, ever. We've had this conversation on Thursday nights quite a bit, and a little bit on Sunday mornings, but I want to just make this point clear. That's one another distinctive of Biblical counseling. You don't put it behind a paywall. You don't charge people for it. Okay? And so we're not talking about professional uh, practice. We're talking about something that happens within the realm of discipleship because helping a Christian overcome their problems includes, by necessity, spiritual instruction and an underlying biblical worldview. We are dealing with issues of the soul. Who knows the etymology of the word psychology? Anybody want to share it if you know it? Yep. That's right. So it's a Latinized form of two Greek words, uh, psyche, which means soul, wind, breath, but soul, inner person. Ology, word, logos, word, but ology is developed into mean the study of. So it's the study of the soul. That's what that word means. Okay. Study of the soul, the study of the mind, the study of the, uh, the person. And so that's when, so if, if we understand that etymology and that definition, then of course any kind of counsel that re- to the Christian that, that falls into this category would be by necessity spiritual instruction that must fall within the realm of discipleship. We are talking about, in terms of counseling, we're talking about dealing with the inner person. And for a Christian, this requires spiritual instruction from God's Word that can never be divorced from discipleship in a biblical Worldview. Therefore, biblical counseling is rightly called intensive discipleship, as, as we said. Here's the, the definition now, after all of that. This is my definition, trying to take from all the stuff I've put together 
in red. Biblical counseling is the spirit-filled, scripturally rooted process of carefully, prayerfully, thoughtfully, and effectively, that's an important word, instructing fellow believers on how to overcome specific problems in their life. That is biblical counseling. And I, that's, not a, that's a definition that you could find among, uh, at least the various facets of that you could find among biblical counselors. I'm not creating some sort of new definition, but I think that is where I'm landing. Biblical counseling is a spirit-filled, scripturally rooted process of carefully, prayerfully, thought, thoughtfully, and effectively instructing fellow believers on how to overcome specific problems in their life. Okay? Any questions about that definition or what we talked about up to this point before we moved on to foundational questions? Can I repeat it? Yes, I can. Uh, biblical counseling is the spirit-filled, scripturally rooted process of carefully, prayerfully, thoughtfully, and effectively instructing fellow believers on how to overcome specific problems in their life. Yes, so, so he's taking that from the word uh, nutheteo, which is in a text we're going to look at, that's in Romans 15, and the word literally means to put before the mind. So you're instructing the mind with biblical truth. You are uh, change, yeah, seeking to change the mind from wrong thinking to right biblical clear thinking. So yeah, that would obviously be in, included here. Question back here. Oh, who had a question? I, th I, saw, I thought I saw Chilam's hand and another hand. Okay. Maybe Chilam put up both hands. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, two questions. Nice. Okay. I really do want to impress upon you the importance of asking the right questions. You don't necessarily have to be a, a, a so-called expert in a particular field to ask the pointed right questions and to get clarity. I think we've, we've missed that in this day and age. We tend to think that and be intimidated by the so-called experts when, in fact, what's really vital is that we think carefully, clearly, and logically. All right? So we need to ask good questions here. So I'm thankful for my uh, theological and kind of had partially in my PhD had a, some uh, philosoph philosophical in uh, uh, instruction because I, I'm thankful for all that because it helped me to think clearly, I think, and to try to think logically and orderly and to ask the right questions. And so I want to help kind of pass that on to you. I think it's exceedingly valuable, and I've seen the value of it particularly in the last couple of years, to be able to ask the right questions. All right, let's think about the, how uh, we might define counseling without the qualifier biblical in front of it. Let's go back to our definition of just counseling. Remember that broad definition of counseling? Counseling is a conversation where one party with questions, problems, and trouble seeks assistance from someone they, have, they believe has answers, solutions, and help. A person may go to a psychologist for those reasons, right? Professional psychologists go to them. They believe they need help. They, they go to that person for help. A Christian may go to their pastor with questions, problems, and trouble because they believe the pastor has answers, solutions, and help. But what does that now prompt? It prompts these questions, namely, what do we mean by answers? What do we mean by solutions? 
And what do we mean by help? We assume that we all want to help each other. I'm assuming that the, the psycholo psychologist or the biblical counselor wants to help the person who's come in. But what kind of help are they providing? How do you define help? What kind of answers are they providing? How do you define appropriate or effective answers? Those are the questions we want to ask. Don't settle for just a surface level. Oh, we all want to help. Some. We all want to help. <laughs> Helping can look very different between two people based on their underlying worldviews, their underlying assumptions about reality, their underlying about uh, underlying assumptions about what people are even made of. Okay? So ask those hard, important questions. What kind of answers are we providing? What kind of solutions are we offering? And here we go. This, lock this one in. All right. If there's one thing I want you to take away, it's this one right here. How do you determine if you've actually helped someone? Here's the question. What standard do you use? These are the kinds of questions we need to ask. How do you determine that you've actually helped someone? <laughs> and what's, what's difficult or kind of challenging or maybe a little frustrating is as I'm trying to read as much as I can on this topic, that question's not being asked. Isn't that interesting? It's being asked by just a couple people here and there. And it was, it was brought up by one particular person uh, uh, several decades ago, but it doesn't seem to be picked up by uh, people recently. How do you know you've helped, and how, on what standard, by what standard do you use to, to judge whether you've helped somebody? What criteria will you use to determine that that person that you've counseled has been truly helped? Is it, is, and this, here's another question, is it possible to be mistaken that you've helped someone when you really haven't? That you've provided a solution, but that solution may only be superficial, or the alleged solution may lead to other problems? And I just think of a text in, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 6. You can turn there if you want to. It's just going to be a brief reference here. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. God is speaking to uh, his people, and they are about to receive some serious judgment. They're gonna, their, their land is going to be devastated. God is going to bring in another nation to uh, overtake them and exile them. And uh, the reason for that is because they've continued to rebel against God's law. They've continued to break His commandment. And um, the leaders and the teachers of the nation are not helping. Verse 13, from, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They, I think referring to the prophet and the priest, those who should have been giving spiritual instruction and exhorting the people back to the Lord, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And all I want us to see from that text is that there's a way in which you can heal a wound, but you can heal it lightly, superficially, in a way that does not correspond with reality, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. The, the wound is healed, but only healed superficially and lightly. So there, there is the possibility that a person might go to counseling, and they have a wound, and that counselor 
thinks that they've healed, thinks that they've provided a solution, but it's only superficial and may in, uh, potentially lead them into greater problems because they haven't been dealt with rightly. By what standard, therefore, do we judge success? Here's an attempt at a success definition. Quote, counseling success is that which honors Christ, is based in His Word, and leads to qualitative and lasting change in the heart of a person. And we must assume that qualitative and lasting change is true, godly, lasting, and qualitative change, because a person may change qualitatively and enduringly for the worse, not the better, right? So we are talking about counseling that honors Christ, should be our first and foremost concern in whatever we do. We want to honor the Lord Jesus, right? And that it's rooted in His Word. We're going to talk a lot about this in the next uh, few lessons. We're going to talk about Scripture specifically, the sufficiency of Scripture, what that means, how we should think about God's Word in relation to counseling, and why it is that some have suggested that Scripture is not sufficient for the counseling project, not sufficient for the counseling endeavor. But counseling success, we would argue, is one that honors Christ, is based in His Word, and leads to true, qualitative, and lasting change in the heart of a person. And we'll continue to define success more and more deeply. But carefully and clearly articulating how we define success is, is essential for conducting a counseling ministry. Are we, are we trying to get people to feel a little better? To feel like they have more purpose in their life? And so you, you can start to see why the success question is, is, is vital for us, right? What does it mean to be successful or effective in our counseling? All right. Um, these questions are intended to point us to see that when it comes to counseling other Christians, the only infallible standard we have for judging our aim in counseling and our success in counseling is the Word of God. If, these, if this instruction to one another falls under the, the broader category of discipleship, then the standard or criteria that we must use to judge whether or not we've successfully or effectively counseled someone is the Word of God. And this does not suggest that biblical counselors are 100% successful or effective. That's not what we're suggesting. But we are pointing out is, listen, we need to have a standard. What is that standard going to be in terms of Christians counseling other Christians? Here's why it's important. I want us to think about this. So um, we'll talk more about this in a later lesson. But under this little bullet point, by what standard will you use, is I want us to think about this. Okay, if there's two things I want you to take away, it would be this, this one as well. Um, think about this, guys. Any counsel about any problem you might give or receive comes from assumptions about reality, the existence or non-existence of God, the nature and composition of humankind, mankind's greatest problem, the, collection, the connection of our problems to our deep, deepest problem, sources of truth, and so on. There is no such thing as neutral counsel. Any counsel that you give or any counsel that you receive, we have to understand this, is coming from assumptions about reality. 
What do you believe about the existence or non-existence of God? What do you believe about how man is made? What do you believe about his composition? Is he material and immaterial? Is he just material? Is he just biological? What do you believe about the nature of reality? What do you believe about the nature of truth? Where do you find truth? Where do you locate it? Where, have God, where has God deposited truth? We'll look at something called the two books theory or two books methodology of counseling uh, among Christian counselors. This is uh, the idea that God has written two books. Here's, here's one book in his word, and his other book is out there in nature, and those have equal authority, uh, equal revelational authority. Is that, is, that, is that legitimate? Well, whether or not it's legitimate, you have to consider that the person giving you the counsel is coming from particular assumptions about where we find truth. Okay? So if, there's, if we're, we can walk away with one thing, it's that you have to realize that every bit of counsel you receive is coming not from a level of neutrality, but from a level of assumptions about these important things. So that means whether or not, based on the goodness of those assumptions and the truthfulness of those assumptions, and whether or not those assumptions correspond with the reality, that will now correspond with the quality of the counsel they give you, right? So if there are faulty assumptions over here, undergirding and overarching the counsel that they're giving you that's going to directly affect the quality of the counsel that they give you, right? So we'll get back to that. It's an important piece. That's why I believe, and I agree with uh, a man named Heath Lambert, who's a great uh, writer on these things, that, quote, counseling is a theological discipline. Even if you are a psychologist who kind of believes in God, or doesn't, or is of a totally different religion, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You have a theology, and the counsel that you give demonstrates the kind of undergirding or overarching theology that you have. We're all theologians, right? We all have a, assumptions and thoughts about God, so counseling is a theological discipline, which is the reason I say this, because I, I want us to see that it has to be rooted in God's word. Your theology may not be biblical, but it is theology nonetheless, and your counseling will flow from that theology. Any questions about that section? Foundational questions we must ask about counseling. Yes, Lucia. Is biblical counseling by definition only to fellow believers? Go ahead, sorry. Keep going. So, uh, in fact, I was going to mention this probably at the very end of this lesson, but we'll just address it now, so it's a good question. Um, what we're talking about is Christian-to-Christian counseling, okay? I've had questions about, like, well, can a Christian get involved in psychology because, uh, and get a degree in psychology so that they can help um, uh, be- both believers and unbelievers, particularly helping unbelievers with mental illness in, the, uh, in, in like, a, a professional counseling kind of situation, because they just, they just want to help people. And, and, uh, and I think that's a, that's a question we can talk about, but it's a question for another time. Because what we're talking about is Christian to Christian counseling, okay? Believers to believers. 
when it comes to biblical counseling and the unbeliever, you're right, you, you want to help the unbeliever, right? We want to make that very clear. Uh, biblical counseling, for whatever reason, has, has kind of developed a caricature of not caring about the unbeliever. And that is certainly not true. Um, if you're a Christian, then you should have compassion for those who are presently without Christ, right? So that, it goes without saying that a truly biblical counselor will have compassion for the unbeliever. The problem is, is that your counsel can only go so far, right? Because without the Spirit, they don't have the appropriate submissive uh, uh, and sensitivity to the Word of God, submissiveness in the, uh, uh, to the authority of the Word of God. And so you can give counsel, you can show them wisdom. You know, there's several sections of the Scripture that are, that are very helpful in terms of just practical wisdom, the Proverbs being one of them. You can show them how God has designed the world and so on, and you can, you, can, you can give them counsel, but it can only go so far because until they've yielded to Jesus Christ and repented of their sin and received the Spirit, then their heart really isn't ready to receive pointed instruction, instruction on how to live. And not only that, but their motives are going to be all out of whack because they presently are without Christ. So, yes, the first thing you want to do in terms of biblical counseling with an unbeliever is give them the gospel, evangelize them. That's the first step, right? That's the first step in discipleship, right? You evangelize them, and uh, you can, I think there's no problem with you giving wisdom in as much as you can from the Word of God, but you recognizing you can only go so far, right? And ultimately, you want them to, to come to Christ. Yeah, Jason. Uh, kind of interesting uh, in terms of like the definition of counseling or even biblical counseling uh, centers around this idea of overcoming problems or like uh, finding solutions. Um, like somebody approaching someone who believes they have the uh, solutions. Uh, would you say um, how, how different is counseling versus, uh, versus to consulting? Uh, would like uh, are they kind of similar things or? Well, how would you define consulting? Uh, I I just think like consulting in at least in our modern vernacular kind of has this connotation of like somebody goes to this person for consulting, like you think of like consulting firms or like um, yeah like uh, there's a problem and you can make a solution or like uh, have a solution, um, whereas like. I don't know, I, I guess the connotation of counseling kind of sounds like, oh, you just talk about it, like, uh, let's see where, what are all the things, uh, where are the aspects of the issues, like, but consulting maybe has, in my mind at least, more of a connotation to do with, like, actually uh, seeking an actual solution. Um, so. No, I would, I would, we're, we're want to drawing, we want to draw our, definition of counseling from Scripture. So anytime you are giving, see, and here's the thing, this is why we have to, this is why we have to talk about this, because anytime that you are uh, talking with someone about spiritual things and areas of discipleship and overcoming issues in their life, you're offering counsel, you're doing counseling, okay? Whether you, however you want to call it. Um, no, I think, I think it's a legitimate definition to say that counseling is, whether it's a, in a small just kind of conversation that you're having or a more drawn out week after week, we're going to really hammer this particular issue that no, counseling uh, is meant to, at least biblically, to be something where you are instructing spe people specifically. In fact, the word for, that we'll look at, 
that's used for, uh, can be translated counsel, can be translated instruct, it can be translated admonish, nutheteo. Um, it has the connotations of clear teaching, instructing a person on how they should think and live before the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word consulting, um, regardless of the connotations it may have in our modern setting, uh, I think is neither here nor there. I think what matters is how we're defining counseling. And I think, yes, counseling is something where you are going to somebody for help. You, you, may, not even, you may not even have this kind of crystal clear definition of counseling in your own mind when you're going, but you're just going to somebody for help. I've got this issue and I can't solve it myself, right? And you're going and getting counsel on it. So, all right, let's do this now. Foundational questions we ask about Christian discipleship. Uh, this is important as we will see, because what I want us to see is that what it comes down to what people, all people, are really seeking after in their lives in terms of change and the kind of person they want to become or what they're lacking in, those things are given to us in Christ, in salvation, and in discipleship. All right? So let's talk briefly about what the aim of the Christian life is. What is the aim of the Christian life? What are we seeking to help people in? Let's ask these foundational questions. Well, we need to first, if, we're, if we want to know how to help people, we need to know what the aim of the Christian life is. The aim of the Christian life is to glorify God in all we do. That's not cliche. That's not a throwaway phrase. That's not Christianese. It can turn into Christianese. But it is really, truly the biblical call to that, whether it's the most mundane thing you could do, whether it's to eat or drink, or to have a romantic relationship, or the way we interact with our spouse, or the way we evangelize, or how we work at our jobs. Whatever we do, it's to bring glory and fame and pleasure to our God. Everything. That's, just, that's how we were made, that's why we were born again, and that truly should be at the center of who we are, our greatest joy. That when God is exalted, we find our greatest joy. Uh, joy and pleasure. To walk in a manner pleasing to Him is the aim of the Christian life. To grow in love for God and neighbor. To grow in love for God and neighbor. And to grow into spiritual maturity and the fruit of the Spirit. That's, this is the aim of the Christian life. This is what we should all be striving after. Now, of course, you could say more, but I, I think that subsumes everything into some broad categories. So then in light of that foundational aim, then the, the next logical question is, what is the aim then of Christian teaching and discipleship? What kind of people are we wanting to become ourselves? And as teachers or counselors, whether it's formally or informally, what kind of people are we hoping our counsel transforms people into? What, what, what kind of people do we want them to become? Here's a really great verse. Paul's just going to tell us straight up. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our instruction or the aim of our char charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What is the aim of Christian teaching? What, is, what should be, I should have this verse like on my desk or in my office somewhere so that I'm constantly reminded, what is, what is the goal for me in Christian instruction and in, in teaching? Love. 
genuine affection for and service to God and man. That's what hopefully by the Spirit through the teaching will produce in you guys and in the people at CBC love, genuine affection and true service to both God and man. Right? That's the aim. Another foundational aim is a heart cleansed from sin, a pure heart, an honest heart, a heart that isn't hiding anything, a heart of integrity. So many issues in counseling. When I say counseling, I, I'll try to qualify it if I mean specific, but sometimes I'll just mean all counseling, whatever, whatever counseling you're seeking, whatever situation you're in, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, a, a lot of problems come from people hiding their sin, being dishonest, covering over dishonesties with more and more lies, that then burdens the conscience with guilt, that then leads the person to use various other kinds of resources, substances, illicit relationships, whatever it is, to cover over that guilt. One of the aims of the Christian life is to purge that all away so that you can walk, here it is, in a good conscience, in a pure heart. Your sins are forgiven. You're dealing rightly with your sins in real time. You're walking in accordance with God's word. You're not burdened by past sins or unconfessed sins. You're keeping a clean conscience. Now just think of the, the and I'll use the word here, we'll qualify the word mental health in a little bit in a later lesson, but just to think about the mental health that a person will have if they have those things. Pure heart, integrity, a good conscience. <laughs> Boy, that's going to produce some mental health, right? And a sincere faith. You really believe in Christ. You're not guilty of hypocrisy. Your life matches your profession. Your words match your heart. You are a whole person. You're not perfect, but you're not a hypocrite. Right? None of us are perfect. We all stumble. I stumbled this weekend, believe it or not. Right? I, uh, or actually, it was... Particularly, it, was, it must have been, um, no, we had a good weekend. It was Thursday. I got mad at uh, uh, Colton and Ellie, and I got angry at them, and then I come to find out, like, I was totally wrong about what actually happened. And so they go off to school, and I'm just waiting all day, <laughs> like, I'm just working, but I'm waiting all day till I can get home to them and say, listen, and I sat them both down. And I said, I need to talk to both of you. And they're like, are we in trouble, Daddy? Like, no, 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 just sit down. And I, and I had to ask for their forgiveness because I was totally wrong, and I, I got angry with both of them, and I raised my voice with both of them, and I had to tell them, will you, I asked them, will you please forgive me, because that was wrong, and Daddy sinned against you. And they were very excited and happy to forgive. But that is, I mean, so that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about perfection, because I'll, I hate it, but I'll probably mess up like that again, right? And, and I strive not to, but we're not talking about perfection. But we're also not talking about flat-out hypocrisy where, where you are professing one thing and living totally contrary to it. You, we have a sincere faith. That's the, that's the goal of Christian discipleship. And will that not produce what some have called significant mental health? And you're already, uh, some of you are already asking, but what about things that are medical problems? We'll talk about that. All right, we'll talk about medical problems. Are there medical issues that cause people to lack a mental health? And yes, we need to address that, and we will. But those are those. So some of your questions will be answered later on. And if they're not, 
We'll probably have a catch-all Q&A time, and we'll try to make sure that we answer all your questions like we did to the relationship series. Okay. Maturity in Christ is another important aim of Christian teaching discipleship, just kind of an overarching goal. Maturity in Christ, Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why do we do all that? Why do we proclaim and teach and warn? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. That should be my goal. That should be your goal in as much as you are talking with and counseling and teaching one another. What, is, what does maturity in Christ look like? Have you ever asked that question? What does it look like to actually grow in Christian maturity? Because it is such a thing, right? We, we are to grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I think you can subsume it under a few of these categories. Growing in the fruit of the Spirit. I think I put that on your sheets. Yep, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Now let's just walk through these real briefly to see how <laughs> relevant they are to the counseling Endeavor. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is that all of them? No, oh, we're missing goodness. Uh-oh. Well. Much of counseling involves these issues, even in non-Christian counseling settings, because many of people's problems stem from their lack of these fruit. Just think about that, all right? Love, for example. You are not loving those around you, so your relationships are a mess. How many counseling scenarios are about relationships that are a mess? Quite a few of them, actually, as it turns out. Joy. You lack joy, so you are depressed, aimless, despairing, without purpose. How many counseling sessions involve a lack of, a serious or desperate lack of joy? Peace. You lack inner peace and are full of anxiety, and you are not at peace with other people in your life, which is causing all kinds of problems. How many counseling scenarios involve this? Lack of peace. Patience. You lack patience. Your lack of patience is causing problems in your family, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your boss, with your fiancé, with your husband, with your wife. Right? You lack kindness and are filled with bitterness and vindictiveness, which fills you with more guilt and anxiety. You lack faithfulness, and it's causing huge problems in your marriage, with your friends, and especially at your work. You lack self-control, so you're addicted to all sorts of unhealthy substances and habits. And these are the things, and you could put goodness under here. I, I just missed it. I, I, I done messed up, and I forgot to put uh, goodness here. But goodness has a, a kind of an ethical and moral quality to it, so you could say that you're, you're lacking a, a strong moral compass or a strong uh, ability to discern between what's good and what's, what's not good, and so you're involved in things that are not good, which is causing you more and more problems in your life. And the point of walking through this basic thing is this is, this is precisely what the Spirit is producing, is to be producing in Christians, and inasmuch as He is, He will be delivering, therefore, Christians from these kinds of problems that the lack of these fruit inevitably cause. But you can see how this lack of fruit, and, and you think about now the unbeliever who has no recourse to the Spirit and, and will be no recourse to growing in these things, will be burdened 
uh, pretty constantly by the, lack, the problems that the lack of these fruit create, right? Uh, Christian spiritual maturity is also marked by growing obedience. Let's see, that's the next one. Yeah, growing obedience. Some things like self-denial for the sake of Christ, holiness, regular repentance from sin, a mind transformed by the word of God, patience and well-doing. I mean, on and on you could go. Fruitfulness and good works, a forgiving spirit. I mean, just think about all these things. Not burdened and hindered by the fear of man. How many counseling scenarios are ultimately traced back to someone's fear of man. They call it codependency. It's really just the fear of man. Think about the life of the person who's growing in these character qualities. I mean, just think about the person who's growing in uh, patience and well-doing. They're growing more and more worshipful, more and more obedient to God's word. They have more and more wisdom in daily life, more and more fruitfulness in God's work, more and more of a forgiving spirit. They're using their spiritual gifts. They're not burdened and hindered by the fear of man. They're growing in virtue and knowledge of God's word. Just think, just picture that person. That sounds like a pretty healthy person to me, doesn't it? Christian spiritual maturity is also marked by a growing trust in God. This is going to enable a lot of what we're talking about being feared from the, uh, the, uh, the fear of man. But it also will give you peace and hope in trying circumstances. How many counseling scenarios involve helping people deal with trying difficult circumstances and the, the difficulties and the trials that they're facing? Perseverance through suffering. Courage due to your trust in God's goodness and righteousness. So much counseling centers around people's lack of peace and hope in difficult circumstances, their inability to persevere through suffering, their inability to see a good purpose in their suffering. But Christian maturity is marked by a growth in peace and hope and trust in God and the ability to trust God's goodness in the midst of your suffering. I mean, that, boy, this, this, this mature Christian is a healthy person, right? Spiritually. Their soul, their psyche is healthy. Christian maturity uh, results in stability in one's life, both spiritually and doctrinally, not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. That's Ephesians 4, 13 and 16, through 16. Growth in developing a wise, well-ordered life. Counseling scenarios often uh, revolve around helping people get their life in order. It's just a mess. It's all over the place. It's not, there's no structure to it. They're, been, they're disabled from normal kind of functioning in society. But Christian maturity is marked by a wise, well-ordered life, making the best use of your time. So you're not bearing the scourge of laziness. Believe it or not, a lot of counseling, the getting to the root of things, you get to the root of just an unconfessed and unrepentant laziness, unwillingness to do what should be done. And that creates depression. And then you're depressed, so you don't do your work. And then some counselors will give the advice of, you need to just stay at home and figure out this depression, which is the worst counsel, because not doing the work you've been assigned will actually create more and more depression. Why? Because God has created you to work and be productive. And so growth and maturity actually uh, enables you to develop a wise and orderly life. Proverbs 15, 19 says, the, uh, the path of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns. I was trying to explain this to Colton the other day. We have a few rose bushes here, bushes here and there in our house. And I'm just thinking, I told Colton, like, just think, we build a whole big wall of these rose bushes 
and you try to make your way through it. How's that going to work? And he's like, oh, that'd be the worst. Your clothes are tearing, you've got all these cuts, and he's like, that's the way of the sluggard. This was in the context of helping him clean his room on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> why? Life is hard for the sluggard. It's just, it, it just is, right? And yet, so much uh, counsel I see this days, these days don't take into account this very issue. But Christian maturity is marked by a wise, well-ordered life. Finally, it's marked by growth and worship. A growing Christian is characterized by being controlled by the Spirit, which leads to worship, personal and corporate worship, thankfulness and submission to appropriate authorities. So the mature Christian is a healthy Christian, isn't he or she? And so we will we'll pick up on this uh, next week, but I want us to see that um, what I'm trying to really press upon us is the is the, the need to exhaust what Scripture says about the aim of counseling, the aim of the Christian life, the aim of Christian teaching, uh, before we go on to talk about other things. And to see that the mature Christian is certainly the healthy Christian, the healthy person, right? And as we'll see next week, preview, uh, that what you, one of the ways you can define Christian maturity as a growing more and more to be more and more human, actually, which has a huge thing to say to those who are currently seeking counsel outside of the Christian church. If you want to become more human, if, which is what people are seeking to be, they, they know something is wrong, and obviously we'll, we'll qualify what I mean by that, uh, then you need to, this all falls under salvation and Christian discipleship. So that's what we're setting ourselves up for. Uh, we're two minutes over. Do you have any questions that I can answer quickly before we, we break? Yeah, Chilon. Are you going to talk about um, We're going to have a full lesson on it. No. No, when we get so lesson, just to give you a roadmap, lesson three. So each lesson will might be a, f- a few messages long, okay? Uh, in lesson three, we will talk specifically, I believe it's lesson three or lesson four, I can't remember now. We'll talk specifically about the intersection of Christianity and psychology. So I, I don't have a plan to talk specifically about acupuncture. Um, it's not, that's not psychology per se, but it is a form of treatment that intersects with both physical and, uh, it's a psychosomatic treatment, physical and uh, mental, you might say. So by definition, we'll have to address some things like that. But I, don't, I have no plans to talk specifically about uh, acupuncture. Okay. Yeah, Paige. Oh, great, great, great question. I, go keep going. Make sure I want to answer your question. Just like, is that, is that like, oftentimes as someone who becomes a believer later in life, then sometimes their growth is exponential. Oh, sure. There's also verses about, specifically the pastors who are like, don't put a young believer in authority. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things that I was, probably would have gotten into it next week, and we'll all repeat it then too, is there are people who are gifted in this area. Right, so we're not saying that every Christian is 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 the same in terms of their ability to counsel various kinds of problems. What should be happening on a regular basis is that we're always counseling one another with the Word of God, and we have skill, and we need to grow in that skill. But some of you, hopefully, will 
find that you kind of have a gift in this and you want to go a little above and beyond. Maybe you want to go get your um, certification with uh, ACBC, the American Associate, American AC, American, what is it? Association, yeah, thank you. Uh, biblical counselors, um, you want to help, the, help us here at the church. We, we're always in need of uh, more and more ladies uh, in this area to help us counsel and be there when we're counseling women and, and women who can counsel women and so on. Maybe that, maybe that will be you, okay? And you want to take off in that direction. Um, maybe some of the guys in here are finding out, oh, I, I have a, a, a real uh, desire and possibly gifting, and you want to take steps in theological training and so on. And so there will be differences in gifting, in skill, and so on, but all of us at some level will be counseling one another. And yes, there are going to be some issues that need to be taken to, like a, a pastor, Who's, who's trained and in, in, in who uh, has been trained in this area and who knows how to handle the Word of God in these, these issues. So, no, not every Christian is able or expected to be able to handle every single counseling situation. Some of you will have more skill and gifting and, and, and less, and, and that's just the way it all works. So, good question. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. Well, I want to make sure not to keep you too long and go ahead and you guys are free to go and we'll pick this up next week.